Hi, I'm Sean Pratt. Welcome to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast, where we discuss all things to help you build your voiceover momentum. Today's host is Gary McFadden. Gary, what's the topic of the day? Sean, today I'm talking with George Whittem, known far and wide, at least in the voiceover world, as George the Tech. Many listeners will be familiar with George through his long-running series, VoiceOver Body Shop, which he co-hosts with Dan Leonard, another well-known technical guru in setting up voiceover studios. George, welcome back to the VoiceOver Insider Podcast. Thanks. I appreciate it. I love coming back to the show. You always have great questions for me. Great topics, too. Oh, good deal. So today I want to address something that comes up every so often in the online voiceover forums, and that is the concept of noise floor. While it's not a tricky thing to understand or to measure, I suspect, I see some people claiming noise floors of something like minus 95 dB, which seems like it would be pretty darn quiet, right? Yeah, that would be exceptionally quiet. Uh, unnaturally quiet. Yes. <laughs> yeah, unnaturally so. So, first of all, can you define just what a noise floor is? Well, the the most general description would be the noise that exists in the recording whenever you're not actually speaking. Okay. So every time you stop speaking, that uh, the noise floor is the amount, well, that's actually more technically what we call the room tone. The room tone is really what I'm describing. It's the recording of the room without the voice. Within the room tone, what we're most concerned about really is the noise floor. How loud is that background noise that exists in the room tone? And so that's what we're talking about when we're, when we're measuring and looking at and listening to noise floor. So it's safe to say that your noise floor is the ambient sound in your studio, plus any noise generated by your audio chain, like your mic preamp, your interface, and your microphone? Exactly. It's a mashup of all those things. Whatever the microphone hears from the environment, whatever is inside or outside the room, and then whatever the microphone hears in its own signal chain or audio path. How much, how noisy is the microphone itself? Because every microphone has a self-noise. Some are lower than others. Sure. But the self-noise is how much, microf- how much noise that microphone makes on its own. So they're all a little bit different. So that's going to be mixed in with all those other things. And then if you have a noisy mic preamp, which most of us do not these days, but that the audio interface itself can contribute a little bit to the noise, as well as electrical interference from your home and your wiring. That also can contribute to the noise floor. Some groups, such as the audiobook platform ACX, specify a maximum allowable noise floor, which in the case of ACX is, I think, minus 50 dB. Is that a pretty good noise floor, or should that be considered as a fairly low bar, and we should strive for an even lower noise floor? That is a, that's a good question. And the problem with stating a noise floor value of 50 or minus 50 decibels is there's other criteria that go along with that value. Are we measuring minus 50 dB peak on the peak meter or are we measuring minus 50 dB on the 
average or RMS meter, um, that is going to make a pretty big difference. Typically, the RMS value will be quite a lot higher. I'm sorry, it will be quite a bit lower than the peak value when we're measuring noise. So, for example, so if we're looking at minus 50 dB and we're looking at the average noise level or RMS, uh, if you're in twisted wave, for example, there literally is a number on the bottom of the scale that says RMS. If that number is above minus 50, we're in pretty bad shape. That's a pretty bad, uh, um, high, amount, high amount of noise. But if you were down below minus 60 RMS um, or lower, now we're looking better. And um, yeah, I would say minus 50 would be a pretty low bar. But noise isn't noise isn't noise. There's different kinds of noise. There's rumble that's made out of low frequency stuff. There's hiss that's more audible and made out of more high frequency stuff. And depending on the kind of noise it is, some of it is extremely easy to remove without in any way affecting the voice. And that can be extremely easily removed first. And I will tell people to do that before they actually measure the noise floor. So if you're using a piece of hardware or software, like a noise gate or a downward expander, are you really measuring your noise floor? Or are you measuring a higher noise floor that's just been manipulated? Maybe that goes to what you were just talking about doing in terms of taking out some low rumble or high hiss. That's a, it's a great question because an expander is a dynamics control, meaning that you're taking the existing noise floor or just how much noise shows up on the meter and you're manipulating it through dynamics control. So you're saying when the volume of the noise falls below a certain threshold, start reducing the level of it, aka when you stop speaking, now I want you to remove or reduce that remaining background noise to a level that's less audible. Okay. And I'll let you know a secret, I'm doing it right now. I'm using an expander on my signal chain to get a clean enough signal to record a podcast in a non-soundproofed environment. I'm just in an office at home. So doing so with an expander would be considered by most engineers destructive and not appreciated. They would not want you to do that um, if they want to hear your real noise floor. That would be sort of dishonest because you're manipulating the situation. Exactly. But a high pass filter to me is a little bit different because it can be applied at the preamp. You can actually have a high pass filter that applies at the microphone. So it's actually happening directly from the source. And from my perspective, that's a different situation. It's not really a form of manipulation, more of a, a form of, uh, let's just say picking the right microphone to record the source, if you know what I mean. So within that context, let's talk about how you actually measure your noise floor. What level should your preamp, or interface, depending on your audio chain, be set to before doing a noise floor measurement? It does depend on the signal first. So what are you recording? Are you recording your voice at, at your normal speaking volume? Are you recording your voice while you're doing a death scream in a video game? Um, first, you have to set your signal, right? Your signal level. And that is depending on your voice. So you would hit record, 
set your gain to your typical, the typical setting you might start with when you're recording a spoken word, depending on the interface, that could be anywhere between 12 o'clock on the gain knob, could be up to three or even four o'clock, depending on you, your voice, your microphone, the interface, all of those things. Then once you recorded something and you stop playing and play back, what I look at is the difference between the noise and the signal. And that difference is truly the noise floor. Now, how do you measure that? Essentially what I do is I stop recording. I normalize the entire file I've just recorded. So now the peaks are at zero. Then I select some room tone. Now I should have said this, but you should definitely capture some room tone. And then I measure the noise floor of the room tone after you've normalized everything. That to me gives the most honest noise floor reading because that would be how loud your noise floor is after the levels have been calibrated or corrected. Some might even say normalized. And I feel like that is the best way that most people can measure their noise floors only if they've done those steps. I've been following a simpler and maybe from what you're saying, a not so accurate approach to measuring my noise floor. And that is to set my recording level to where it's hitting between a minus 12 and a minus 6 dB while talking at a comfortable volume into the microphone. Mm -hmm. Then I stop talking and I don't move or breathe for about 15 or 20 seconds. Is that not getting my accurate noise floor? That's recording. Uh, that will let you get a very honest and consistent room tone recording. Um, and that is the noise floor, assuming that your peaks are at minus six. What I'm saying is if you calibrate so that your peaks are at zero, the noise floor level is going to be different. It's going to be higher. And so if we don't know what the peak is, we can't calculate what the noise floor is because it's a, it's a ratio measuring between the signal to the noise. So if everybody were to measure noise floor with peaks at minus six, that's great. What I would do then is I would take my final recording and normalize it to minus six and whatever the room tone uh, shows as my, whatever the noise floor shows up as in my room tone, then that would be the noise floor recording. But again, that would be assuming we calibrated with peaks at minus six. So it all depends what are the peaks to begin with, that you have to know that information to get the full picture. Can you run through again the way you calibrate your audio chain so that you know you're getting a more exact noise floor measurement? So I'll record my voice with my levels peaking something like you said between minus 12 and minus 6. Not much higher than that. I want to have some headroom. Not much lower than minus 12 because as I, as I drop down and level much below 12, as we had correct for that level later, adding level using gain control, compression, limiting, and normalizing, um, we're going to have to bring up the level, thereby bring up the noise at the same time. So that seems to be a safe range between minus 12 and minus 6. Once I've recorded, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds of voice, 10 seconds or so of room tone, I hit stop. I normalize the whole thing to zero, and that will bring all the levels higher. You'll notice everything gets louder, considerably so. If you peaked at only minus six and normalized to zero, the whole thing goes up by six. 
including the noise. Now when I measure the, the now when I take my uh, selection and select only room tone and then hit play and look at my RMS meter, whatever it says, to me, that is the most accurate way to record room tone. And I feel like that it really is truly the most honest way to do it. Okay, I think that's going to be a good learning experience for listeners. I know it's going to change the way I measure my noise floor because that's not the way I've been doing it. Yeah, so your room tone, if you do this practice, whatever you're telling it, people that it is, it will increase by roughly six. So it won't be a big change for me because I've been hitting about minus 79 with my method when using a shotgun mic, and now I'll be registering more like a minus 73 for the noise floor with that mic. Which is phenomenal. <laughs> yeah, you're going from phenomenal to really, really good. <laughs> so it would be a lot more of a problem if your noise floor to begin with is hovering around, say, minus 60. And then you normalize the file to correct for your recording level uh, variation. And now it shows minus 53 or 52. That would be far more of a concern, right? So. Yeah, when you start with a very low noise floor, adding six decibels of gain is not going to be noticeable. We'll be right back with George Whittem. You've probably heard it a dozen times from established voice talent like Julie Williams and Mark Scott and others that the money is in the list. You've got to build and maintain that list of leads, prospects, and clients. And the way you manage that list is with a CRM, a Customer Relationship Manager. It's a piece of software that lets you store your leads, track who you've emailed, and so much more. I've looked at a lot of CRMs, including Nimble, HubSpot, and a half dozen others, and I settled on Spitfire CRM. It was a snap to import my existing prospect files that I had on Excel sheets. Spitfire lets me easily email a lead or prospect from within the program generates invoices for clients, and tracks my sales. It doesn't have as many bells and whistles as some of the other CRMs, but it's straightforward and it does what I need it to do. There's a free 14-day trial available that you can sign up for without a credit card at this link, voiceoverpodcasts.com forward slash spitfire, one word, S-P-I-T-F-I-R-E. I'll put that link in the show notes. Get your leads, prospects, and clients in an approachable and easy-to-use data format today with Spitfire CRM. Hey, we're back with VO technical expert George Whittem talking about the mysteries of noise floor. When measuring your noise floor, should you start the recording at the levels we've just discussed and then leave the booth or the room, or should you remain in the booth for an accurate noise floor measurement? Yeah, that's a good question. I really do try, I do do recommend removing yourself from the environment. Um, it's really, really hard to record room tone without accidentally making a sound. Um, it's, you know, if you are going to stand in the environment, stand back from the microphone, plant your feet, uh, and don't sway, don't physically move, don't touch a thing. And obviously, don't breathe or shift around on your stool or chair. Yeah, and don't breathe. 
don't have uh don't have your stomach talking it's going to be in there right uh, that microphone is incredibly sensitive it hears body functions it hears everything breathing so ideally you would not be in the room um but if you if that's really impractical for your situation you just have to hold your breath be as still as a statue and hope for the best <laughs> Maybe do it a couple of times and average that out. Well, yeah, I guess if you're talking about measuring, that's one thing. You know, if you're using your room tone in part of your editing, especially if you're going to repeat room tone, um, this is a method used a lot in audiobooks where people will take their room tone and duplicate it over the course of the, the length of a chapter because they want to fill in the room tone. You better darn well be darn well sure that that room tone has absolutely no random sounds because guess what? You're going to... You're going to hear them over and over and over. Yeah, I've been there. I've edited some chapters where I did the filling in the gaps with room tone and made the mistake of selecting a section of room tone that wasn't clean. So every gap had a a quick little breath intake in the background. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, yeah, that just shows how critical that room tone is. And, you know, once you've got a really clean room tone file you've recorded in your studio, save that as a room tone file in that project. So if you're doing an audiobook, then you have a master room tone file for that audiobook. Um, or you have a master room tone file for that project. If it's like a long, ongoing thing, like an e-learning, you'll always have a consistent room tone file that you can use and work with throughout that project. Okay, a good hint. Once you've measured your noise floor correctly, how do you read what it is? For example, if I record my noise floor in Twisted Wave and then play the resulting noise floor section, is the level shown in the bottom right-hand corner of the screen where it says RMS? Is that the correct noise floor? Right. So that, this is what's challenging, right? Every software has different, cali di has different meters most of them have a peak meter. All of them do. Those are pretty consistent from app to app to app. Um, that's how far does the meter go up and travel upward or across to the right when you're speaking. But some do not have an RMS or an average noise or average level meter um, like Twisted Wave does. This is just one of the many good things about Twisted Wave is how incredibly easy the meter is to read and very obvious what you're doing. I, I do use now, I used to not use RMS. I used to look at the peak number, but now I always refer to RMS when discussing noise. And that's because mainly con convention, the audiobook industry has used RMS to, as, as its calibration for, as, as a way to measure noise. They've always used RMS. And for that reason, I've adapted to the same, uh, the same method always using RMS as my means to measure my, my noise floor. George, can you actually have a noise floor that's too low? That's a good question. I mean, I know that the ACX check plugin from Audacity will actually give you an error if your noise floor is too low. If it considered it, if it gets considered that it's too low, it may say you may not pass the ACX system that tests your audio. To me, that's kind of dubious. I think it comes down to, do you as an actor or the, or the listener hear a lack of all noise 
between phrases and does it sound unnatural? So if it sounds eerie, when you stop speaking, it's so silent that it sounds like somebody went in and deleted every single piece of room tone between every single word. And, and by the way, try this sometime. Go, go take a file and delete absolutely every piece of room tone and listen to it back in your headphones versus leaving the room tone in, that the more natural version, and compare the two. And, and which one do you prefer listening to as a listener? Um, you know, but it, it, it can technically be too low. Um, but I'll tell you at the same time, there's plenty of people that do this. They go through, they, they just chop out all the room tone. So there's a total lack of room tone completely in the file in headphones. It sounds unnatural, but in the end of the day, that's what ends up going to finish. So we can, I can tell you what I think they should do and what best practices are, but what the client and the engineer ends up doing on their end is totally out of your control. If your noise floor is too high, say a minus 40 or a minus 45 dB, what are the first steps you'd take to achieving a lower noise floor? Would you use a different microphone, uh, work on acoustic treatment, such as covering a window, or is using hardware or software, such as a downward expander, a last-ditch effort to lower that noise floor? Any kind of software processing generally is considered a last-ditch effort. You know, that's the last step that you would do to hide the, the flaws in the audio in terms of the higher, too high of a noise floor. Um, the first thing to do, it, it depends on the kind of noise, right? If it's an electrical interference noise that's sort of more of a buzzing tone, we need to figure out, is there a bad cable? Is there, is there something in the signal that's causing that noise to be picked up from like the electrical system in your home? Um, is it coming from, where's it coming from in the first place? So that's one thing to look at. Another kind of noise is just equipment noise. That's just like the self noise of a microphone. I'll say it right here and I'm going to call it out. The Audio-Technica AT2020 is not a very quiet mic. It has quite a bit of self noise. It comes across as sort of a soft hiss. So that's another kind of noise. So if that started to become distracting, I would consider upgrading to a mic that has a lower self noise. But those kinds of situations are less common. What's more common is environmental noise. And that has a whole wide array of ways of solving. And uh, it comes down to soundproofing techniques. Yes, covering the windows, as you mentioned. Um, it could mean using a microphone with a tighter pickup pattern that rejects more background noise. It could mean using a mic with a built-in high-pass filter to filter out rumble and low-frequency noise that you don't want. Um, there are a lot of ways to solve that problem. And that's the kind of stuff that I do at georgethe.tech. So if you need help with that, come see me because I will go through every aspect of your studio and we will coax out every source of noise and find the best ways to remove everything or at least reduce all of them to the point where they're no longer distracting. And if you're really lucky, you'll have noise, self-noise recordings as low as Gary's. And that's not easy. <laughs> well, remember, my studio is out in the middle of the Montana wilderness, so it's a little easier to get a low noise floor here. That's for sure. That is for sure. We've been talking with VO technical expert George Whittem about noise floor. George offers, as he just said, all sorts of technical advice to voice talent. 
George, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you? Well, if you just have questions about how we can work together, I would recommend sending us an email to george at georgethe.tech. Yes, georgethe.tech. That's the email, george at georgethe.tech. Um, but if you know you want to book a certain service or take a look at all the services we provide, um, that's just at georgethe.tech. That actually is the website. My name is my address. All right. George Whittem, thanks so much for joining us again on VoiceOver Insider Podcast. Thanks for having me again, Gary. I hope you found that information helpful and enjoyable. If you would like a free strategy session with Julie Williams to talk about your VO career, just email julie at voice-overs.com and we'll get you on the schedule. If you'd like to train in nonfiction audiobook narration, I'd be happy to work with you. Email Pratt at comcast.net. Thanks again for joining us today. We'll catch you next week on a brand new episode of the VoiceOver Insider Podcast.